Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com and you are listening to Vodka O'Clock. Remember that you can sponsor the show and the website by going to Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked to pledge as little as a dollar per creation, which basically means a dollar per week. And joining me today, I am so glad to welcome back to the show, Josh Neff. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you for having me back. So we are going to have, I hope, a lot of fun today. Uh, we are, we're recording on, on Easter, so <laughs> even though like weeks later, so it's perfect brunch vodka time. Yes. So I am drinking some vanilla vodka. And it's in orange juice. So premium stuff, though. Van Gogh vodka <laughs> in the Simply Orange uh, orange juice. That's a top shelf. Top wonderful shelf for combination. Me. Vanilla vodka is good. Mm. It is indeed. I thought about making more coffee and then throwing something in there, but I said, and then I went for the orange juice because we were talking about how we would have a nice brunch skyping. So <laughs> I was like, that has to be juice related. So what are you having? Um, I, I well, it's it's only a quarter after eleven my time, so I'm just drinking some sparkling uh, lemon lime seltzer water. That sounds fancy. Although, if uh, our friend Andy Parks were here, he'd probably give me something stronger, regardless of the time of day. It's true. See, that's what you know when people um, pick on me about what I'm having at whatever time. I don't really adhere to that. I base it off of how long I've been awake. Nice. And I've been awake like since really stupid o'clock for a Sunday morning. So I figure it's vodka o'clock time. It was vodka o'clock time like an hour ago as far as I was concerned, yes. but I saved it for for this. We could say it's always vodka o'clock somewhere in the world. That's true. But yeah, I don't really pay attention to like time things. Like I my breakfast was a veggie burger and broccoli. <laughs> Well, and especially since I think, you know, breakfast food is good for any meal. I think conversely, any food is good for breakfast. I, yeah, I just don't really get hung up on that kind of thing. That's why I get really mad when restaurants stop serving things at certain times. Right. Like, I just, I, I might want French toast whenever. Right. I might want a burger for breakfast, so why not? Come on, McDonald's, step up. Yeah, I mean, really, what's the difference between hash browns and french fries? Like, who gives a crap? Right. Oh, so, what, um, while you're enjoying your sparkling water, <laughs> uh, do you even have it in a fancy cup, or are you doing, like, a solo cup? It's, it's straight out of the can. It's oh, it's so... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally uh, not classy at all this morning. Yeah, through a straw, so... No. <laughs> There's class. Class need not apply to this That's podcast. Right. I am totally classless today. <laughs> and uh, and we both have our cats joining us, which is fantastic. Keiko sound asleep. Oberon is running around the house. I think at this point he's kind of hyper. No, he's he's still a little boy though, isn't he? He is, but he's young. He's he's just over three years old. Um, and he's pretty, I think he's pretty small. He's only like around 10 pounds, so. Yeah, it's funny because the demon cat downstairs is so heavy compared to Keiko. When I pick him up, it's like a, picking up a baby. <laughs> and 
she is like between like five and six pounds and she's all she's just hair and she's getting her hair cut soon i can't wait because it's just ridiculous (laughs) so these are these are fun times over here with cats yes so if you could have cat superpowers, like if you could talk to the cats or transform into a cat, would you would oh, you do that? God. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be – well, I actually do talk to my cat and, and not just like I'll meow at him and he'll meow back in a similar way. But then I also just have conversations that I imagine are two-sided but probably one-sided. Like he'll meow at me and I'll say, really? You think so? I don't know. What do you think? And he'll meow again. Um, but I think it'd be cool to turn into a cat because he gets way more exercise than I do around the house. (laughs) He's leaping all over the place right now. He likes, he likes to explore and poor Keiko. So she doesn't, there's exercise in in her life at all, which is fine. She gets, she gets put in a buggy. People that know me have seen these pictures that, um, Keiko has her own stroller. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she gets put in in the stroller, and so when we go to the comic shop, she's in her buggy. Oh my god, that's fantastic! Yeah, I wonder if understanding the cat of having that superpower would be great or would be awful. Like, could you imagine the the insulting thoughts that cats must have about humans? Oh yeah, I mean, I've said before that living with Oberon is like living with a a kid version of me. If I didn't have opposable thumbs and guilt, because yeah. um, he—I mean, we are very similar in personality, but he doesn't have the sense of um, this isn't mine, so I shouldn't knock it over and play with it. Or um, smashing a butter dish is fine, and then I'll just lick the butter. Um, so, yeah, I don't—I don't know, like what. And I know I totally anthropomorphize too because I just imagine that dogs and cats have much deeper thoughts than they really do. But like when they're staring out the window, I just imagine that they're thinking of all sorts of deep things. Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely think that Garfield is kind of plausible because it's just there's no I don't know. Yeah, obviously they have brains and they have emotions and 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 I think they have souls, but. Um, but sometimes they they just give you that look like right you know. and so when i think when i think of there's some really good oh like comic books hero cats one of the best comic books today um hero cats is okay. phenomenal and the the different personalities of these cats is hilarious because it's i've had so many different cats and they've all, they've been so unique right yeah yeah so i don't know what keiko's superpower would be if she could turn into something else. Oh, right. Yeah. Guessing at this point, with her, her lack of leaping ability, she'd maybe want some kind of levitation. <laughs> teleportation. Yes. yes, I could see. I used, to, I used to say that she could teleport because uh, I put her in the buggy one time and she was out of it and I don't know how she got out of it. But then I, I figured out that it was that the the, uh, the like roof of the thing wasn't firmly... It isn't actually attached to the other part, so she actually slipped out of there. Uh. But she back was turned in a matter of seconds, and uh, and so I used to say that she could teleport. So I do think that I'm I maybe at this age, those would be the things that she'd want. Yeah, I actually uh, had a housemate in college who compared me to a cat 
on a number of occasions. Um, apparently I could walk so quietly that I would walk into a room and scare the hell out of her because she didn't hear me coming. Um, and we would be sitting in the living room watching TV and I would suddenly remember something and jump up off the sofa and race up to my room and then race back downstairs and sit on the sofa again. She's like, oh, you're just like a cat. So maybe I, I think that's why I I like animals in general, but I tend to prefer cats to dogs, at least in terms of owning. Mm. Yeah, I've never owned a dog. They just seem like way too much work. That That's part of it, too, is I, I just know I don't have the patience and the mentality to train a dog. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just not. And I don't really have the, the personality to establish the dominance that a dog needs to be controlled. Um, but with cats, whatever. You know, you just bring them in the house and show them where to go to the bathroom and then they're good. I suppose shape-shifting into a dog wouldn't be so bad if you lived in the right kind of place because you could kind of go about your business and eavesdrop and people give you treats and, um, you know, like there's some really dog-friendly cities. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think life as a dog is is pretty sweet. Um, and in fact, I think, was it on Cosmo? I think the new Cosmos, Neil deGrasse Tyson talked about how um, dogs like wolves kind of domesticated themselves because they figured out that rather than competing with humans for food and shelter, that they could just get it if they hung out and protected them. If they went to the, you know, the tribe and helped protect them and, and kept them company, then they could just get fed and, and have shelter. Um, Seems uh, very likely. Yeah. Cats had, you know, their own temple. <laughs> right. And I've also I also read somewhere that, that cats aren't really that domesticated. That that dogs are bred, but cats just breed out like the number one way that cats breed is outdoor cats just getting it on. And that um even indoor cats, they're not really as domesticated as dogs are. Um which I think you can kind of see in, in their independence and their um, apathy towards <laughs> being trained. Yeah, definitely true. Yeah, they. I uh, at least in Keiko's um, personality, I think she's definitely more of the "you serve me" type right. of uh, approach to felinedom. Right. When 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 I was living with my now ex girlfriend, um, her dog. I mean, we really definitely referred to her as his mom, um, and he was her fur kid. But with Oberon, I think of us more as housemates than, you know, and I, I, I have a little more authority because I decide when he gets fed and um, I can, you know, chastise him for, for doing stuff he's not supposed to do. But he doesn't really have the same ability to chastise me. But I don't think of it as like I'm his master we just happen to like live in the same house and I feed him. Yeah. That sounds good. You got a sort of like odd couple thing yeah, going on. Exactly. Well, nice. Well, I know you always write bromance on your, on your yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Bromance and soulmates are like two of the tags I use. Yeah. Um, because we did like, I mean, he was, he was sitting on me. He was sitting in my lap the first night that I brought him home. 
within an hour or two, he was comfortable with me and, and we just kind of had this instant bond. So it's definitely a bromance going on. Cool. I, you know, one of the things that I, you know, besides the fact that I like Keiko is so much a part of my life that I was thinking of talking to you about the cats and because you, you are always Instagramming Oberon is, um, we were talking about all this like speculative fiction and the, the fantasy genre and how popular things like werewolves and vampires and witches are. And it's like, there's really not, at least not with television. Now maybe books are a different world, Mm -hmm. but on television, I don't recall cats having a real um, supernatural presence like, no, there's no big franchise that centers around like a were cat. It's a weird right. wolf. The only thing I can think of is a few years ago on ABC Family, there was a, a show that was adapted from a YA fantasy series, um, The Nine Lives of Chloe King. Oh, I do remember that. And it was about this high school girl who finds out that she's a cat person, and she's there's this whole like you know, secret world of cat people, um, and you know, their nine lives and stuff like that. And it was, it was actually, I mean, I wouldn't have expected this from ABC family. Although I think the middleman was also on ABC family and that's one of the best shows ever. Um, but it was really, I mean, it was really good, solid sort of urban fantasy. Um, and sadly it ended on a cliffhanger and didn't get picked up for a second season. So it was super frustrating. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, there's not a lot. Um, I recently uh, marathoned the first season of Bitten on Netflix um, with Laura Vandervoort, who played Supergirl on Smallville, um, as the only female werewolf in a world of werewolves in modern day um, Toronto and upstate New York. And um, I got really, really hooked on that. And they do a re- lot of really nice stuff where there are, like, there will be a number of episodes where nobody turns into a wolf, but there's all the stuff about the pack. And she said that I saw she was at um, Comic-Con here in Kansas City a few weeks ago, and she said that just in terms of when they film, even as humans, she'll do stuff like avoid making eye contact with the the alpha of their pack um, and that they, they try to incorporate certain aspects of wolves um, in the way that they act as humans. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting. And that's also based on um, a series by Kelly Armstrong. Ooh, Oprah's going after a squirrel um, outside. Heard that crash. Um, and, and uh, I mean, it was sort of, it was on my Netflix queue for a while and uh, and then I talked to her at Comic-Con, and she was really pushing the show, and she's clearly very proud of it, which is always nice to see um, when an actor actually likes what they're doing. <laughs> um, and I went home and watched the first few episodes and was really hooked on it. And it's another one that sort of ends on a earth-shattering cliffhanger and now i'm kind of pissed off that i'm now mad at her i'm shaking my fist at her thanks for getting me hooked on another show way to go but i noticed um a lot of commercials for um some other things like the originals i think it's on the cw right yeah show really yeah i and actually it's funny because i said to 
when, when I met Laura Vandervoort at, at Comic-Con, I think at one point I said that when I was a kid, I always thought werewolves were cooler than vampires. And she said, yeah, vampires are totally played out. Um, but, but I mean, it's true that I did. I mean, I was, when I was in elementary school, I was a huge, um, reader of books on the paranormal, um, ghosts and haunted houses, vampires, werewolves, um, the original zombies. Not, I actually do get sort of like weirdly pretentious and annoyed about the whole zombie phenomenon. Cause I'm like, those aren't zombies. Zombies are related to voodoo and it's a specific thing. Um, but yeah, like voodoo and, and um, voodoo zombies and um, Frankenstein's monster and mummies and all that stuff. I was a huge um, UFO sightings. Um, if the X-Files had been on when I was a kid, I would have desperately wanted to be Fox Mulder when I grew up. Um, I was into all that stuff. And I always thought werewolves were cooler than vampires. There was something sort of like vampires were, and it's funny now because we have all the stuff where vampires are heroes or anti-heroes. But to me, when I was a kid, and this was like pre-most, you know, um, I mean, this was pre-Anne Rice and, and pre. So vampires were clearly just monsters, whereas werewolves had this sort of tragic, could be heroic. Um, like it was always sort of the person who became a vampire or, or became a werewolf didn't really want it and it was a curse and they were trying to do the best they could whereas it always seemed like vampires reveled in being vampires and they were just pure evil right yeah we had um different things like the original angel which was called forever night um, <laughs> yes angel is a complete ripoff um it's but there was also like Colchak the night stalker right. oh little- god great show there was there was you know different kinds of supernatural stuff and it all it all seemed a lot scarier yeah. than like now like except for except for Teen Wolf where where this like straight up comedy okay but otherwise like the werewolf things I remember were like you're saying like really emotional and and stuff um, uh, shit now I'm gonna blank like the howling right well American Werewolf in London I think is a really good example of I mean they they played up a lot of comic aspects but it's also very much into the the drama of him wrestling with the fact that he's become this monster and he doesn't want it and he kills you know and like the, the people that he kills keep coming back and visiting him and telling him that you need to kill yourself and I mean it's some pretty, pretty deep stuff compared to, I think, a lot of the, and even, like, the original Universal stuff. I mean, Dracula is just the straight-up bad guy, but in The Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr. is is sort of agonizing over being a werewolf, and it's not something that he wanted, and it's, you know, a burden and something that he wrestles with. Um, In the same way that I think Frankenstein's monster was also really tragic, that the you know, in like the universal, not just the book, but in the, well, maybe in the book as well, that the the villain is Victor Frankenstein. And really sort of the tragic hero is the monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you tell your librarian because you're saying Frankenstein's monster. Not <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, one of the things that comes, to my mind when I think about the um, the differences that in how things are portrayed with 
vampires and werewolves and, and witches. It's the um, attractiveness level. Like when we, um, when when you get your your RPG sheet out for your, your character sheet or something like that, and and even in like Comic Vine, which is one of my favorite resources for comic book stuff, mm-hmm. they'll have a list of character traits, right. and attractiveness yeah. is is one of the traits that's measured. And people argue whether or not that's necessary, but there's something about comparing the sexy vampire who could be the most horrible horror monster, but he's got to be hot or she, right? you know, they have to be attractive. And they do that a lot with any of the the versions of the devil. It's hardly ever an ugly thing. Um, you know, P- Buffy did great with the master in the first season. The master was like a hideous bat-looking right. monster. with Fruit Punch Mouth. Yeah, right. Um, but then you also had Angel and Spike, who were hot. Right. You know, that was like, eh. I didn't feel like they, they kept enough. Now that you mo- mention it, I can, I can see that vampires, like the whole sexy vampire thing, became really big around the same time that it was kind of trendy for men to be metrosexual. Whereas I'm kind of surprised now that we're not seeing more werewolf stuff with the rise of the sort of lumbersexual, you know, women really digging the the hairy guys with the in the the flannel. So we should be seeing more werewolf stuff now. I think. Yeah, it, it it's probably happening in those worlds of the internet that I have never even heard of. <laughs> the dark yeah. corners of the internet where people are writing, you know. Their fan the fiction. Same, the same pace, place where people are, are writing the um, gay wear dolphin. Yeah, exactly. Bit. The dinosaur erotica. Yes. No, I'm not. And I swear to God, I'm not knocking it. If you pull something off like that. And you oh, yeah. Them, I think it's I think it's really great. Yeah. You get all the bonus points ever for completing a project. I don't care what your premise is. Um, but yeah, when uh, like the posts of like the dinosaur erotica start showing up on Twitter and the the woman in love with her horse cover that people were making fun of right. a few days ago. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, so I guarantee there's parts of the internet that are already talking about lumber sexual werewolves. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and of they, course and it'll take Hollywood a while to catch up to that. By the yeah. time they do, no one's going to care anymore. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I I like flannel. I'm okay with that. You know, especially like even like with True Blood, they they had some guys that could pull off the scruffiness right away, but their chests were always bare. Right. No hair on their arms, no hair on their chests. Yeah, it's I like, noticed that actually. That was um, I was watching. Um, there, there's the episode of Buffy um, where Oz comes back um, after having left. Um, he cheat, you know, Oz cheats on Willow while he's a werewolf with another werewolf, and and leaves to sort of try and get control over his werewolf side. And then once Tara's hooked up with, um, or Willow's hooked up with Tara, which that is totally my OTP. Um, and then Oz comes back and he gets captured by the Initiative and he's being tortured. And I noticed that, like Seth Green had no chest or armpit hair, in that in the scene where he's being shocked and I'm like, that's really weird. Cause I'm pretty sure Seth Green has hair. I mean, like, yeah. why, why do they do this? 
like Joe Joe Manganello, however you say his name. Right. Like you can't tell me that that dude doesn't have chest hair. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he probably. I mean, just judging from what he looks like and his heritage, if he doesn't have back hair naturally, he will soon. Um, yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Just you know. But yeah, so so to have him have a, a waxed chest is pretty weird. And and how do you feel about the portrayal of witches? And she brought up uh, Tara, uh, Tara, who I adored, yeah. of course, from Buffy. Um, but I'm also a big fan of Bewitched, and you know, think that Samantha on Bewitched is is fabulous. Oh yeah, she was. Nice she, I mean, I think like a, there's a general comparison of Bewitched and I Dream of Janie, and there's always like there's sort of two camps of which one you like more, and I think that says a lot about how you view gender and sexism <laughs> because Jeannie was like super subservient and she, you know, she got into trouble, but it was always sort of um, breaking the rules a little bit and then apologizing. Whereas Sam was just straight, like Samantha was clearly the dominant one in the household and um, she was strong willed and she was smart and yeah, bewitched was, was great. Um, yeah, that's always um, my favorite. Obviously, when we when we get around times with Halloween, there's so much more of the the ugly green skin, big warts, and uh, you the know, hocus pocus sort of. Yeah, ho- like a hocus pocus type. But I mean, the Wizard of Oz cackling yeah. bitch, and it's um, you know, and I and I realize, I mean, if you see old women in Europe. That yes, they look like <laughs> that. You know that that's fair. Yeah, I mean, thinking I, back over my my um, you know Russian Jewish grandmother and great aunts. Um, yeah, I can totally see where you'd get the the image of the the witch as this. Yeah, the Baba Yaga uh, is you know in her her weird cottage on chicken legs. Yes. Um, with the babushka in her head. And uh, I never understood the weird pedestal thing. She doesn't ride a broom. She has like this weird thing that looks like a butter churning device that she. Yeah. Pops and flies. Russia's weird. I think we just have to chalk it up to Russia's weird. Yeah. So, I mean, we have our different types of witches. Like you don't like those witches have no sexual being at all. And then you've got like the smoke and hot witches. You've got the oh. yeah, bewitched and um, what is it, bell book and candle and. Well, American Horror Story had a whole series. I mean, right. uh, what's her face was a. Uh, I can't believe I'm blanking. I don't watch the show because it just looks too scary for me. Yeah, but, um, I think I just it just occurred to me that it's funny that you and I are having this conversation on monsters while neither of us watches horror movies because we're right. they scare us too much. Yeah, I know. I'm such. I'm. I don't know. I'm okay with being a, a, a wuss about it. But I like. I like funny things like Shaun of the Dead. Like you know, right. I zombie. I'm. I'm okay with I zombie, but I will not watch The Walking Dead. Well, there's a whole other. For me, it's not even a scary thing with The Walking Dead. It's just it's so utterly bleak. I mean, yeah. and, and I mean, it's even like the writers on record are saying that the the title doesn't refer to the zombies. It refers to the humans. That they're the Walking Dead. Because they're dead inside and I just like, I, I mean, you know, if, if the, you know, I, I actually don't believe that a zombie apocalypse is possible. Let's be realistic. But 
if it happened, I would probably off myself because I would not want to live in that kind of world. Um, but I do think that there's enough fear of all of the things that we see um, with werewolves and vampires and zombies. I think the one that we relate to most is the zombies because of disease and and biological warfare. Oh, yeah. I think the zombie lore closest um, resembles that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like with iZombie, I watch it because it's kind of funny and cute. But she's smoking hot, this girl. Right. Like, ridiculously hot. And it, it's like, you're a zombie? What? What? No. Right. Well, and, and I think that that, along with Buffy, that you're using the supernatural stuff as metaphors for real things that people deal with. And, and I think probably both in, in iZombie and in Buffy, specifically what women deal with in our society. And and so I think that that can be really effective. Um, and same with, with, with Bitten, with the werewolf show, that she's the only woman who's a werewolf. And because of that, there's all this attention brought on her. But it's like it's not all sort of supernatural stuff. A lot of it has to do with um, she was she was sexually abused as a child. And and the guy who abused her gets out of jail. And um, I'm totally spoiling here, but he he gets turned into a werewolf. And there's another there's a psychopathic killer who gets turned into a werewolf. And there's all this stuff with um, like. It, there's a lot of stuff that that sort of ties in with things that that women deal with in in our society, and I think that you know Joss Whedon was very bluntly trying to do that with Buffy, and I think iZombie is probably doing that as well, especially considering how closely Rob Thomas has made it to Veronica Mars. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I think that the, and that's a that's a good aspect of monsters that I think probably is what attracts you and me to them more than the, you know, obviously more than the horror aspect because we're not into that, um, but more of the supernatural as it, as you can relate to it just as a human being. Yeah. I, uh, but again, that's one of like exactly what you said. I don't, I couldn't watch the walking dead because of the gore, because it it is more horror. Like Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly not a comedy. Anyway. Uh, Unless it's like the blackest comedy ever. Like if Samuel Beckett wrote um, horror comedy, then it would be Walking Dead. Yeah, I mean, I you know, if Simon Pegg or Steve Zahn suddenly run through the frame, then maybe I can sit through an episode. But it is, you know, it's always been about the human experience and how we how quickly we turn on people. And there's a comic book that's not based on monsters that I was talking about recently called Sheltered. And it's a 15 issue series. And it's about these kids that are uh, they're in that um, survivalist. They're raised as survivalist kids. Like their parents have them in this compound of trailers and there are, you know, stocking up all their weaponry and their food rations and stuff like that. So these kids don't really know anything else. And so they, they realize that the um, they're expecting like the uh, the world to end, that there's a a natural cataclysm going to happen and the world's going to end. And as they know it, so they're trying to prepare. Right. And it's about how the kids turn on each other. And it's, it's very natural. Mm-hmm. Like we, we don't really need to think the world is going to end all the time. It could be our own world that day ending. You know, right. if it's 
you know, something happens at your job or something happens at college or something happens to your kid. It, all of us, I think, have that relatability. And then it does get turned into a lot of times these monster things like The Walking Dead. It's like, you know, who's friend, who's foe? Right. And, who has resources? Um, you know, I know I'd be up shit's creek. I'd be like you. I'd put a bolt in myself. Right. Like, it would be fast. <laughs> Over in a matter of seconds, my cat could eat off my body. I don't care. It's it's one of those things where I know I have like no valuable skills if there's an apocalypse. Right. Yeah. I mean, I it, and it's funny that you said you know oh the librarian talking about that that I've often said like you know I don't know how to do any kind of like car maintenance. I can cook. That's about the only practical thing that I know. Um, it, yeah, if I, the apocalypse I, came, like really all I could do would be to talk about you know the um, metafictional elements in the short stories of Jorge Luis Borges or, or, you know, I could talk about Doctor Who trivia and nobody's going to care. So what use am I? Yeah, I was, I was thinking recently, I'm like, okay, well, I could probably be like the one girl in this comic book sheltered who, whose mom was a doctor or a nurse or something like that. So she learned a couple things, but I mean, she's a kid. She's no, has no education really as far as college or anything goes. But she became like the medic of this compound. Okay. And okay. I'm like, okay, I could probably maybe learn something like that. Right. Like, you know, but like, I don't know enough about plant life to be like a great medicine woman or anything like that. Right. right. I think, the, um, I don't know if you've read the novel station 11 by um, Emily St. John Mandel. I hope I'm sort of Mandel. I'm not sure how to, sorry, Emily, I'm, if I'm mangling your name. Um, it's a fantastic novel about um, this flu that just suddenly springs up and wipes out most of humanity and civilization. And it, it jumps around it. And I, I would never think that a post-apocalyptic novel could be so beautiful while also being terrifying at moments and bleak at moments. Um, but it jumps around in time through before the apocalypse, during it, and after. Um, and it really just sort of gets on how people can touch other people's lives and continue to do that even after they've died. Um, but one of the main centers of the novel is this, after the apocalypse, there's this group of traveling players who go around the Midwest um, performing Shakespeare for people to try and keep all, our culture alive. I could totally do something like that. Um, and even though in general, yeah. I'm a pacifist like, and I'm not big on guns, I can learn how to shoot a gun and defend people. And I can do that. That's, so, you know, I don't know, but I don't have sniper skills. Like I can you know, I right. don't know how to, hunt. so like shooting is limited. Like I know how to kill something, but I don't know how to butcher something. Right. So I'm like only half useful when it comes to <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I cannot put food on your table. Like I can't farm. Um, you know, but like you said, I could cook. Like I could cook once once somebody else figures out how to right. get the food. Get the food to me, I can totally make a great meal and then I'll tell you a story of the before times. But you're like the librarian, like the Noah Wiley. <laughs> or, I just watched of- one of those movies last night and they are so much fun. They are so clearly yeah. ripping off Raiders of the Lost Ark, 
but in all the best ways, and they do it with a cheeky grin. Yeah, and they and they look like, you know, like they know it. They're having a blast. I love the people that created it. Yeah. And, you know, same folks from Leverage. Right. Um, so, yeah, and the, the actors are on, on Twitter, and they really just seem like they're – like they're enjoying it. Like you were talking about uh, Vandervoort, how she right. seems to enjoy the show. Yeah, same it's, with like, I mean, that's what I, one of the things I love about the internet is that you can see like um, the cast of Agents of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. adore each other and have so much, you know, they post clips of themselves goofing off and um, it's it's so delightful to see stuff like that um, and to know that like a show that you're watching that the cast really, really get along well. Um Stephen Amell was at Comic Con for one day. Um, oh, his tour is fantastic, and he's he's such a good guy. Um, they actually had like the the studio had tried to schedule him out of the con. I don't think like on purpose, but they just they ended up double booking him, and they pretty much said you're not going to be able to go. And he said, "I'm not. I made this commitment. I'm not disappointing my fans. I'm going anyway." And he like ran himself ragged going from filming in Vancouver to going to LA to do the Paley panel, Paley Institute panel with the Arrow and Flash cast, and then make his way to Kansas City to be at this convention for one, not even the whole day. Um, but in his, in his Q&A, he talked about how um, when they're filming that John Barrowman, of course, ridiculously cracks everyone up. Yeah, and that um, Paul... Paul Blackthorne is a very serious actor and he's frequently like, I think like he gives them death glares when they're all cracking up over Barrowman. Um, I love Paul Blackthorne. Yeah. He's still in my heart. (laughs) There's just a lot of, it it is really great to see, um, especially for like shows that, that can get kind of darkly dramatic, like Arrow can or um, Bitten, you know, where there's some humor, but it's mostly a lot of people angsting, and um, getting beaten down and fighting back. And so it's nice to know that behind the scenes, they're all having a, a ball. Right. Well, I mean, you know, so speaking of superheroes, we were, you know, we're talking about all this monster folklore. And of course, our American folklore, um, not talking about the Native American folklore, obviously, but our modern folklore is all about superheroes mm-hmm. and comics. Like it's, it's like that's our monster manual is, um, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Comics. Um, so there's obviously hugely popular on TV and film and, um, and some, you know, some good games that are out there and stuff, you know, so I was, um, thinking about all these monsters and stuff and I'm like, you know, other than the Tolkien stuff recently, I haven't really seen any elves in, in very much stuff. And, but people reminded me that Dragon Age is, which is a juggernaut. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. You know, um. They used to call World of War crack. Right. Call it World of War what, one of my one of my friends was just telling me about um, playing Dragon Age and and all of the the NPCs that your character can romance. Um, yeah, I've heard that it is so it is so romantic, and it's and it's one of these things where when I read my friends' posts, I'm enamored by this. I'm like, I'm like, okay, what kind of like mushy video game is this that has like these romance storylines? And this is amazing that like when you see people talking about Dragon Age, that's what they talk about. Yeah, they're not they're, really talking about the adventure stuff, or they talk yeah. about romancing the NPCs in this game. And it's really, really important to these players. Mm-hmm. You know, and you don't 
notice it because people obviously like we go through this with comics too. people ask for stuff you know at a fan level and say oh i i really want this i want this i want this and it takes somebody with the the skill of uh, to be the creator to answer that call you know like um you know with g willow wilson and ms marvel like it's not that nobody ever asked for a character like her before but it it took the right person to take on that challenge and i guess and with video games i mean it's like Jesus, I mean, if you think comics have a big team of people to put out an issue. Right, right. Yeah, the amount of team and money that must go into a game, the rendering capacity of something as incredible as Dragon Age. uh, But that's what my friends talk about. They talk about being in love with these characters. Mm -hmm. And and just the fact that the video game companies now are hiring professional authors to to write their games and they're hiring, you know, pretty often like top, maybe not a list, but I mean, like George Clooney isn't doing voices for, for video games. Um, but okay, they get a sweet voice actor. But, so. Yeah. But they get, um, um, Katie Sackhoff and Will Wheaton and, um, I can't even think of like, I mean, they get like all these actors and they, I mean, it's kind of, it, it's really sort of heartening to see that they, they take this really seriously and they they don't just want to make a game that um you know like you're bored and you don't really have a lot to do so you're going to play duck hunt for half an hour um okay. not which is not to not to denigrate that because there are times when that's all I want you know I I do have a half hour to kill and I just want to blow off some steam and and you know see pretty colors and flashing lights uh, but they also make these really intricate games um, well, I think from the appeal that an actor might see, um, besides the money, is, um, you know, if you go to a movie, it's over in two hours. Right. You know, I mean, some people get the big franchise deal, like Iron Man and Avengers and stuff like that. Some, you know, once in a blue moon, an actor can look forward to something like that, but that's not common. And But with a video game, people are putting in hundreds of hours. Yeah. I I, I mean, I've been a... Since I was seven years old, I've been a huge Star Wars fan. Um, but to be perfectly honest, I, I've gotten more enjoyment out of playing Lego Star Wars than watching any of the Star Wars movies. Um, and I think part of that is it has the imagination of the Star Wars movies, but also you get to play in it and, and, you know, you can go around and inter- like you have these characters that interact with each other. And it's not like, a complex story or anything like that. It's basically following the Star Wars movie, but um, like Princess Leia tends to have a bigger part to play um, in the Lego Star Wars games than in the movies, and and there's it's, there's just something that's really endearing and and that I could attach myself to, and that it resonated with me um, in the games playing in that, and and yeah, you spend more time, you get. And in that time, you get invested in it. Yeah, so that's why I, I can see why Dragon Age is so appealing to those people. I, I would love to see something like that, though, with a, a lot more elf lore actually be, you know, workable on, on the, like, the small... Like traditional fairy lore? Or... Yeah, like I, would, I, would, I really would be cool with that if it was on a, a 
TV series because you know, like you said, a movie is done and it's over in a couple hours. Right. I mean, you know, right. except for the Tolkien movies. I mean, fine, they're like you know hours and hours and hours, but it's still just one thing. Whereas I get a lot of enjoyment out of a good TV series. You well, know, and in all honesty, I mean, there are, you know, I'm, there are a bunch of movies that I think are really good, and but these days I think TV is. Um, much more progressive and experimental and even like the, I mean, terms of like quality of, of building storylines and building characters, um, but also more roles for women of all ages, uh, more roles for people of color of all ages and, you know, people of various sexual orientations and what I mean, and just even addressing issues that movies are just not touching these days. Um, I think the the movie studios have gotten so scared of what they're doing. You know, like I think in the seventies we had all the really pushing boundaries of movies, um, and we they've totally gotten away from that. But they're doing it in TV, and so I think we're it's really exciting now what stuff we're seeing in TV. Um, so yeah, I would love to see more. Um, urban fantasy fairy stuff on TV. I think Lost Girl is about the only one I can think of that comes close to that. Yeah, and they didn't really do like the the pointy-eared elf right. creature. Maybe once they, upon a time, but Yeah, maybe. That that's a bit iffy. Yeah, that's um No offense to you fans of Once Upon a Time, but I gave up on that. I gave up on it, too. I just am really addicted to the costumes. So if I turn it on, I'm not even paying attention anymore. I'm looking at the costumes. Um, yeah. I, have a Pinterest, I have a Pinterest just for Eduardo Castro costume. Because <laughs> uh, uh, when I get famous, that's what I want to wear to a book signing. So you heard it here. <laughs> I, I approve of this, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, before I let you go, let's get into a couple more things. Um, I know besides elves, one of the other things that I'd like to see is a, you know, I, I really hate to, to add to the, oh, it has to be darker and grittier bullshit mm-hmm. because thing does need to be darker and grittier. But if there was like a, a live action Scooby that wasn't as cheesy as what Scooby really is, you know, like supernatural is like horror to me. Like, right. There's, there's no, you don't know if things are bad. Supernatural is hard. Right. Uh, so if there was something in between, like I guess Goosebumps maybe had something like that, but I never watched it. Yeah. It was, it was at the in-between time where I didn't care. Well, the interesting um, thing about Scooby-Doo that I didn't realize until I think I, I was reading somewhere is that Scooby-Doo is, I mean, the, the, the setup of the original cartoon, it's both very scientific and very pro-youth in that it's these teenagers who investigate these mysteries that appear to be supernatural and the adults never listen to them or believe them. And there's always a rational explanation for everything that's going on that they can prove scientifically. And that's actually a a pretty cool thing. And if we could have a live action show that had that for young people, that was, you know, engaging and, and, um, right. Like Buffy had the teenagers, and everything too and supernatural they started off they were kind of young too right but all of the monsters were real right so i think it would be cool to have a scooby that people could relate to where it was debunking like if the mythbusters were going right after, 
if it was fictional Mythbusters. I don't know. And actually, um, when I was in college, I had this idea um, for a comic book miniseries was the the original idea of that was basically Scooby-Doo with the serial numbers filed off. But it was set in the 70s, but it was very not necessarily gritty, but just very grounded in the 70s. Like there would be one issue where they're in New York and it has to do with Studio 64 and rampant cocaine use and disco. And um, there would be one issue where they're in San Francisco and dealing with like um, Satanists. And but it would also involve like the politics of of the LGBT um, (laughs) stuff that was going on at the time. And Crime dramas. It sounds like real. Um, I don't. I don't know that it was Dragnet, but I do remember some old '70s crime dramas that, because of the drug use, like there was always, and they always made these, you know, these kids. They would always be like 25 year olds playing 17 year olds, and and they would always be like on the worst trip of all time. Right, right, right. I think that probably the the apotheosis of that is the infamous Quincy episode with punk rock. Where like kids are dying because they're slam dancing or whatever, you know, and it's all about how like terrible how the the punk scene is ruining our children and and turning them into anti-authoritarian losers who are going to get killed. Very sad. So, what is it? Um, you have a daughter who's uh, young, but she's a young woman. Yeah, she's uh, she's eighteen healthy. now. She's graduating from high school very soon. So, what is it that the kids like these days? Do they like, I mean, there's obviously, like I said, so much vampire stuff. Right. Vampire. Um, she's but really into Supernatural. She, she, I don't know, she's not really into Teen Wolf, but Teen Wolf is definitely on her radar. Um, um, and, and there's a lot of YA fantasy and uh, particularly, I think, urban fantasy stuff um, that, that is very popular. Um, I'm trying to think of other stuff that, that a lot of it is stuff that's not on the cultural radar of most adults, I think. Um, Rooster Teeth is this group of people in, I think, Texas who um, produce, they they do a whole, I mean, they've got like a whole YouTube channel of various shows that they do. Um, Rage Quit, I think, where they play video games and um, and Rage Quit them. Um, but they, they actually, um, they've got a series that they did that's an anime series called Ruby that my daughter got me into that's really good. Um, they have another animated series that's sort of more traditionally American animated that's um, superhero called X-Ray and Vav that's hilarious. Um, and and she's really into, like, I think a lot of teens now are watching YouTube channels and um, independently produced, um, um, Hannah Hart, My Drunk Kitchen, really big, um, which is changing. I mean, there's all this media going on that, that Hollywood is totally blind to and the studio execs do not understand at all. Um, because the studio execs are a bunch of, I mean, Stephen Amell (laughs) talked about, um, at his (laughs) Q and A, he wanted, he's seriously proposed that they should have, like at a con, they should have the Arrow cast and the Supernatural cast read fanfic, like mashup Supernatural Arrow fanfic. Um, and he wasn't kidding. Like, he meant this honestly, like not making fun of fanfic, but like really talking about how it's cool that fans are into this stuff. And he said, yeah, they don't, they don't understand. Like, when I propose this to them, they don't even understand what I'm talking about or how we would do it. 
Um, and so I think, um, you know, this whole, it's really kind of this alternative shadow media that, that adults, (laughs) which, you know, we are adults, but that, that a lot of them just don't get at all. Yeah. I think, um, you know, certain people who embrace technology, you mentioned Rob Thomas before because of iZombie, but um, his partner, Chris Roberson, who created iZombie, uh, he's also the founder of Monkey Brain Comics, which is for online comics. Mm-hmm. Like certain people get it and they're right. interested in it. And so they're and they're not interested in it just as an investment. Like they're interested in being a part of it. Right. And, so, and they understand you know, what the kids um, are are hep to these days. That's why I ask you, because I don't know what the kids yeah. are. I don't talk to kids. You're like, like you know, I once a week I podcast or whatever. It's like, that's my human contact. <laughs> yeah, and I, do, I mean, it, it is kind of telling that, um, like, just, I think last week, this 13-year-old girl came in and was checking out some books, and I was really excited about what she was checking out. Um, that, that's way more, I, I am totally a 13 year old girl at heart. Um, <laughs> make of that what you will, but that, it's so cool. So I um, would, I would fucking trade stickers with you, man. Yes, absolutely. I give you some <laughs> unicorn stickers, but, but I will not call myself a brony. I'm not going to, you know, try to co-opt Co- co-opt girls. Right. Yeah. Right. No, but you know, but there is room in other things. Yes. Which is cool. And then, like, you know, like, all these franchises that we've been talking about seem to have that balance. Um, you know, like, Grim and Sleepy Hollow and Supernatural. Well, Supernatural's kind of bro-heavy, but, but, it's, but it's as appealing to... But it's popular to, with a lot of women. It's, it's, it's appealing to the female fan yeah. base. Because a bunch of hot guys. But, um, it's a bunch of hot guys angsting. And women it, seem to dig that. They like they, the, they like the broody bad boys. They do, at least from a distance. And then once you get them, you're just like, oh, <laughs> oh get go away. I think it's sort of it, it's the the female version of the manic pixie girl that that yeah. guys like seeing stories about the manic pixie girl, but you wouldn't really want to date one. Exactly, um, because there's confidence level there. And let's face it, you wouldn't really want to date Dean Winchester. No, no, but you would make beautiful babies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, and there was oh, and and actually, this this should make you happy since you mentioned like Monster Manual. Um, another thing the kids are into these days. My daughter and her friends are starting up a, a Pathfinder group. Um, they're they're going to be playing, you know, D and D basically. Um, yeah, um, because I've heard that the comic book has done pretty well. Um, there's so I know it's based on the game, right. but um, but yeah, I think uh, I think Dynamite's doing the comic book. I think, yeah, I think that sounds right. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And I have, I absolutely fail. I have never read Skull Kickers. I realize it's a big failure. I love, I love Jim Zub for his business sense. And he seems like an awesome mentor kind of person mm-hmm. that we turn to. Comics. And I suck that I've never read. I, I have not either. <laughs> I'm, I'm sadly really out of like a lot of like what's going on with, with comics today. Um, yeah. You have other things going on yeah. too. Um, so before I let you go, I wanted, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, because I watched this this morning, the, the Knights of Bad Astum, which is hilarious. Yes. You know, it's got that Shaun of the Dead comedic right. dark thing going on. Um, so it's not actually mocking LARPers. It's, 
it's a, you know, it's like it's funny but serious at the same time. Right. But it, so um, knowing how how quickly everybody is to blame something else for somebody's behaviors, we've seen you know lawsuits like huge like federal cases lawsuits against heavy metal. Um, Judas Priest had like probably the landmark case, um, and uh, you know then books being banned. Right, like the, the whole persecution of of D and D or attempted yeah. persecution of it. Like D and D has gone gone through its, its share, and Harry Potter gets a, you know right its own accusations and stuff. So um, because you're a librarian, so you work with the public all the time, and you're a nerd, and you're a parent. I was wondering if you would share what you see as like what's healthy about fantasy and if there's anything unhealthy about fantasy as a genre. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, as someone who's read a lot of fantasy since I was, I mean, I can't even remember when I wasn't, I can't remember a time when I wasn't reading. Um, and, and you know, that my daughter has grown up reading it as well. Um, I mean, I think it, it, definitely helps encourage imagination um and and uh and in in terms of fandom stuff that it encourages friendships and bonding among people who are into that um and 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 like we were talking about the whole metaphors for the human condition um and i think in even in especially like slipping that in to younger people who might not know that that's what they're getting um, until they grow up. Um, I think the dark side is, I think a lot of fantasy, especially when it gets stuck in a rut of like heroic or even sort of gritty fantasy, but it's very much rooted in a Northern Western European um, model. It can be kind of um, reactionary and regressive um, socially um, I mean, and I think I'm like I, I like watching Game of Thrones, but um, if you're going to create a fantasy world, why would you create one where women are treated so horribly? Unless you're specifically addressing issues about women being treated horribly, you know? Yeah, that's why I didn't last more than ten minutes trying to watch it. Yeah, one, one of my best friends pretty much gave up because of. You know, yes, there's both male and female nudity, but clearly there's it's weighted towards female nudity in Game of Thrones. Um, and there's just a lot of social and physical violence towards women. And unless you're unless you're directly and I and I think that sometimes George R. R. Martin is trying to, like, say something about the way women are treated in society. But if you're I don't really think you need to take everything from, you know, like to say, well, it's historically realistic. Well, but we're talking about fantasy. Um, and, and so why wouldn't you create a fantasy world where women are socially equal to men? Um, and where, um, to use, I think Scott, the author, Scott Lynch, um, why you, you couldn't have, cause he, he had a, I think a novel where there's a, a, woman of a single mother woman of color who's a pirate captain and his whole thing was why wouldn't i create a character like that it's a fantasy you know and and so you can have any characters you want why not have that kind of fantasy why are the fantasies just white men having adventures 
I think you bring up a really important issue where people might tend to confuse fantasy with historical fiction. Right. And, you know, we're not talking about stories based on kings and queens like um, The White Queen. I don't know if you saw that series or read those books. No. Um, I did really like the series, and they barely brought anything supernatural into it. They did have a little bit, but not. it was not much. Like, it wasn't drastically unbelievable. It mm-hmm. was more about the roses. So, um, and the, the rise of the Tudor family. Okay. Um, and I think people tend to confuse that. Like, I don't, I remember reading, like, The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, and it didn't dawn on me until somebody said it years later, you know, why are there no girls on these adventures? Right. Why, why are there no, you know, why are all hobbits the same color? Like, would they, like, when I, when I look at things like the D&D elves, I know that there's different types of elves. Mm -hmm. So, um, the Tolkien elves have different races and there's the really pale blonde ones. And then there's the darker ones. And then there's some inter mixing of the races or whatever, but they all have the same color skin is what it boils down to. Right. Um, So it's, you know, like if hair color is your, is your distinctive trait, right? What is that? (laughs) Um, uh, You know, and it was something that I, I just, it, it was just so ingrained in me to expect that and not expect more that I didn't even notice it as a reader or an, you know, viewer of the, the shows until somebody else pointed it out. Right. I think, um, a good, for me, a good example of that is comparing game of Thrones to the CW show rain. Um, which is, I mean, rain is pretty solid young adult soap opera for the most part, but it's, it's about Mary queen of Scots in France. And it, you know, it's, super ahistorical but um but it's i mean it's rooted in historical fiction and i feel like as opposed to the fantasy world of game of thrones the the women in reign generally have more agency and more direct sort of power and strength than a lot of the women i mean you know there's there's daenerys the queen of dragons and and um, Arya Stark, but but I feel like I don't know. I, I I feel like in general I see stronger women in Reign than I do in Game of Thrones. That's an interesting observation. And, yeah, and I mean, maybe that's just me. But I mean, I just hear too many too many things criticizing Game of Thrones. It's just so filled with rape that I just don't need it. Like I just don't need that in my entertainment unless it actually means something to the story. Right. If it if it, swear to God, you can't get through that story without that, then fine. But if you're throwing it in there because you're like, well, that's just how women were treated, then, you know, fuck you. It's a fantasy right. world. Exactly. I, I, you know, so I, I think that that is a, a big point to bring up about what's healthy and unhealthy about fantasy. And, and I think general points about realistic, and I'm using finger quotes right now, because I, I really hate when people say, well, but that's realistic. Because, again, like, it's fiction. It doesn't have to be realistic. And I think different people have different ideas of what's realistic. And a lot of times people try to sell sort of dark, gritty, cynical stuff as, well, that's realistic. And I don't necessarily think it is. I think a a great comparison would be looking back at Excalibur, which is like all sorts of cheesy goodness. Right. Right. 
and Helen Mirren is breathtaking. Uh-huh. Um, and comparing that to the more modern version that was told uh, called King Arthur, starring... Um, were they Clive were they digitally Cl- buffed up Kira Knightley's chest for the the movie posters? Yeah, where she was really mm-hmm. pissed about. That. Yeah, right, and but rightly yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, starring Kira Knightley. I mean, it's they based much more research and history in one versus the other, which was based on a book, mm-hmm. based on a fantasy, you know, passed down through the ages, um, you know, right story. And story is good. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be realistic. But I think there's a, a presumption that that certain things are historically accurate when they're not. Right. Or that you like, can you can you can throw what? stuff in and distance yourself by saying it's realistic. Yeah, like the Bible. I mean, I'm sorry. Like I tend to believe that some of those people existed. Some of the stories might have happened, kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. But let's face it. It was written well after any of those people were breathing. Right. You know. So if there were great fictional works of, um, you know, if ye old Bill Clinton. <laughs> have him in shining armor on a white horse. Right. And, you know, and, uh, and that's what we would get. Well, and actually that, wow, that, that's a really fascinating, because if you want to talk about realistic, then it's, I think, utterly realistic for your story to have a woman who is sexually and socially taken advantage of, Monica Lewinsky, um, and then what? Ten years later, comes back with all this power and and agency. Um, that's realistic. So so hey, authors who are like having your w- women beaten down, um, it's realistic to have women who are strong. And 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 strong doesn't necessarily mean like right there, like kicking ass, you know, by fighting. Um, sometimes strong is just surviving. Absolutely. That's, um, you know, one of my favorite comics um, was Night of a Thousand Wolves. And it was only three issues. It was, it was a real short comic, mm-hmm. brilliantly told. And and that's partially why. Like, it, it took a woman to stand up to, you know, this big, um, they, they weren't werewolves, big monstrous wolves um, and a big wolf goddess that you know, was about to, you know, destroy the people. Okay. And it took a woman to stand up and say, you know, no, you're not gonna you're not gonna touch my family. Mm-hmm. It wasn't any sort of kick-ass way. Like there was no, you know, like the men were all about fighting and right. swords and stuff. But it, you know, but it took a woman to just be like, no, that's not how we're gonna handle it. And, and similarly, <laughs> you could have a story where a man does that and does it without fighting. That, yeah. that Why don't we? And I wrote a I wrote a blog post about this recently. That why can't we have more stories where where boys and men are heroes, but they're heroes by being bookish and kind and compassionate, um, you know, and, and uh, traits that are, are frequently seen as feminine in a negative way. Um, and I think that's, that's why a lot of people ended up loving Neville Longbottom from the Harry Potter universe. Oh, that's a great example. Yeah. You know, he was a like tertiary character and, Neville just really rocked out by the end of the whole series. Yep. And, you know, he he was phenomenal. Yeah. He, he was. Yeah, um, I think that's a, a great example of, of you can have a character who's insecure and um, bumbling to a certain extent, but also clearly really smart and really caring and courageous, um, but not in 
necessarily traditionally heroic way, but he can and he can still be a breakout character who's seen as incredibly heroic. Cool. Well, before I let you go, Josh, um, do you have uh, specific recommendations that you want to turn people on to or anything? Um, I know we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like anything that I've. Well, yeah. OK. Um, the author, Catherine Valente, has a juvenile series. The first one is The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Boat of Her Own Making or Ship of Her Own Making. Um, and, and there are, there are three books total. And then she's just come out with a fourth book that's called the, and it's all the girl who Fairyland, blah, blah, blah. Um, very long titles. And the, the fourth book is the boy who lost Fairyland. And it's, um, and, and that was actually what sparked my blog post about why, cause he's a, he's a boy who's, um, bookish and insecure and, um, not necessarily a fighter. Um, and, and she said that, you know, she want like, why can't we have more stories with, with both boy and girl heroes who aren't, you know, I mean, she didn't come out and say this, but who aren't Buffy Summers. And it's, it's an amazing series. Um, sort of a combina- combination of traditional fairy tale mixed with Lewis Carroll and just sort of general kind of surrealism and high imagination, um, but with also an incredible amount of heart and really profound, especially for juvenile books, profound things to say about um, getting older um, and and losing touch with some stuff from childhood and also learning some dark lessons about um, death and, and birth um, and just but also beautiful and whimsical. And um, I just, I really can't say enough good things about um, the, those books. And that, that's my big recommendation this time around. Well, I, I have failed to keep up with the series, but um, we were talking about Tara and Buffy. Um, Amber Benson is an amazing writer mm-hmm. and she has a, a couple different series. Yeah. I just read um, her, her new book, The Witches of Echo Park. Oh, okay. So, so that, that was going to bring that, that up. Yeah. I read Death's Daughter, and I, I found Death's Daughter to be pretty interesting. It was, I got a little confused at times, but, um, but I really did like it, and I expect someday, maybe before I die, I'll get to the rest of the series. But The Witches of Echo Park, I know, is her newest. Mm-hmm. So how is it? Um, I really liked it. Um, I, I, I feel like um, because she's come out of acting and and because I know her mostly from TV I I almost sort of expected that it would have kind of a TV show pacing and it doesn't it has a very literary pacing um that I was like halfway through the book when I realized I still didn't know who the witches were like what the big threat was who the big bad was or anything like that and I didn't care because it was taking its time getting us to know the characters and to really look at their lives and I was so engrossed in that um, that that I totally I was like, wait a minute, I don't even know who like and then it gets to the end and like all the stuff starts happening and it ends on a pretty big cliffhanger. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's very um, nicely done, um, sort of solid urban fantasy um, without giving into too many cliches. 
And I think like if there are cliches there, she plays them really well. Um, as as John Rogers of Leverage and the librarians has said, um, tropes are are tools to be used. <laughs> they're they're there, you know, they've survived the test of time for a reason. And Amber yeah. Benson is definitely in that camp. Um and she's delightful, and if you get to see her at a Comic-Con panel, please do. Oh, my God. You you have no idea how badly I want to meet her. I think she's, like, amazing. Um, yeah, and she's, I mean, she's, you know, not only acted and written novels, but she's, um, you know, she's written her own movies and um, yeah. directed, you um, know, directed screenplays. She's literally, like, done everything. If you have a chance to see the movie, anyone out there, if you're listening, if you have the chance to see the movie Drones, it's hilarious. Um, and it's oh, she and Adam I, Bush did that together, and it's hilarious. Yeah, I really wanted to see that. I don't. It I was on Netflix it. for a while, and then it went off Netflix. Oh, okay. And well, I'm, I'm not happy of, about it. Yeah, I'll definitely have to catch it because it did look really good. Um, Josh, thanks for your time. Where do where can people find you? And I know your blog. Um, you've been you've been writing more. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm. Um, I actually was going to do Camp Nanorama this month, and just a few days in, I dropped out because I wanted to focus more on um, getting poetry and short fiction written and up on my blog. Um, so yeah, it was like I don't want to write this, but I want to write this. Um, so my blog is www.goblin-cartoons.com. Um, I'm on Twitter a lot, um, at Joshua M. Neff. Um, those are the main places you can find me. Awesome. Um, and thank you for having me. This is always so much fun. I love having you on because I, it doesn't, it does, you know, it's not that we never have a goal because we do, you know, as far as what we're going to talk about, but um, I enjoy talking to you and I think I have a great time and I hope the listeners all think it's a great time. Yeah. I hope we haven't bored anyone by us just going off and geeking out, but yeah, we will geek out and we do talk about our cats. Yeah, just gonna. Um, and and this is life. This is you know, you got to get joy wherever you can. Oh God, absolutely. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the deal. So Josh, I hope uh, people check out your recommendations and your poetry and blog posts and everything. Thank you. And you guys can, of course, follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter. You can sponsor the show at patreon.com slash amberunmasked. Everything else is at amberunmasked.com. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.